0: Welcome to another episode of Between the Bites. My name is Derek on the marketing team here with Executech. And my name is Gary Arnold. And my name is James Fair. James, welcome back. It's time to get into part three of blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and NFTs. We've gone down some pretty major rabbit holes, and this episode is to hopefully put a nice bow on everything, fill in any gaps that we may have missed in the past two, and answer a few more questions. I know there's one or two more topics that we wanted to talk about. So we'll start with one of the infographics you sent. James actually gave me a major aha moment, and that is it explained what mathematical equations the miners are solving. The mining process is also the validation process of a bitcoin transaction right so that is where that equation comes from so as you said when somebody requests to make a transaction with a cryptocurrency that is on the blockchain so we'll say bitcoin then that request is sent out or processed and sent out to be validated the process of validating is actually also the mining process first one there with that correct answer to validate that transaction also is where that reward comes from. Is that correct? Correct. But everyone's doing the
1: validation of it. Only one person or one pool, one answer is going to be correct. But everyone is doing validation of it so that it's, it's across the entire network is validating it. But yes, the rest you are correct. Okay.
2: Who knows that it's the correct answer? And where does the mathematical equation come from? I get part of it is the fact that it's validating that all of that came before is accurate and that this transaction is accurate, but there is an actual math, quote unquote, problem to be solved to prove your efficacy, I guess. Where does that math equation come from and how do you know that it's right?
1: It's created. That's part of the Bitcoin blockchain process. It's created. It's just part of the code. Yeah, part of the code, right. So that's the thing that it decreases or increases difficulty in order to scale. So we're always hitting about 10 minutes for answers. As to who has the correct answer, that's a really good question. I knew this at one point, but right now I don't know the answer. I'll have to look that one up.
2: Maybe we'll circle back on it. So to our audience here, they should go back and binge listen because that's what I just did. And I do have some open questions that we can talk about, but it's a little bit circling all the way back and around again.
0: We can do that. And then one of the final things will be wallets.
2: Okay. That was going to be my first question, but we can save that to the end if you want.
0: Whatever order makes sense to you.
2: And I don't know if we need to do a summary again. Go back and listen to the first two episodes before you listen to this one, I guess, is is the primer here. (laughs) You drop the word wallet in the context of cryptocurrency. What is a wallet? And I know that there are different types of wallets and how are they different from each other? Talk us through the wallet world.
1: Sure. So a wallet is a It's a destination for Bitcoin or a source point for Bitcoin. So it's where Bitcoin is digitally stored would be in a digital wallet. So it's really an address, right? You can create as many as you want. And then you have to prove ownership of the wallet through more hashes and more more cryptographic solutions. But it's essentially an address. So if I want to send Gary a Bitcoin, then I have to have one in my wallet And that's already been registered on the ledger out there in Bitcoin. So when I say I want to send Gary one Bitcoin, the distributed system, the distributed network, then can look through and see my address and verify that, yep, he does indeed have one. It looks at Gary's address and says, yep, that's a valid address and we're going to send it to him. So it completes the transaction, everyone validates that transaction, and then it's officially yours at that point.
0: And then, as a quick touch point, a hash is the term for the equation that needs to be validated for the blockchain. Is that correct?
1: That's part of it. So it is a SHA two fifty six hash, but hash is also so just so we're not confusing things too much, or, or adding to confusion, a hash is also the so on the previous block we have you know things like sender, the receiver, the amount, things like that. All that creates a hash, a single long hexadecimal string that then we can use to validate the information inside that block. So the block contains a certain amount of information that gets you a long string of characters and numbers, which then is the hash or the validation of that block. So and that gets included in the next block. So each block has the previous block's hash in it so that if any block has changed, that shows up, right? Because it's no longer valid. So you can't solve the block from the hash, but you can derive the hash from the block. So it's pretty easy to tell if it's valid. Ooh, there's more rabbit hole. But yes, the hash is also the mathematical calculation that i contesting
2: for out there on the blockchain network.
0: Okay. <laughs> I
1: think we lost the original question.
2: We got to get back to wallets, but I have another one.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: This is more of like a maybe fun fact trivia question. But like, if a single transaction represents one block on our blockchain, there have been so many transactions over the 13 years of the existence of Bitcoin. Sure. How big... And I guess how much actual space does the entirety of the ledger, which is the blockchain of, let's say, Bitcoin, how much space does it take up?
1: It's huge now. And to be clear, it is not one transaction per block. There are many, it's combining many transactions into a single block on there. So it's not one per, but it's it's really good size. You know, that's a good question. I believe it's in gigabytes now. I mean, look it up.
2: And if you are a miner... Or you have mining machines or whatever. Each one of those needs to store the entirety of that, let's say, 4 gig block. Who knows how big it is? Or maybe it's 60. I mean, maybe I'm way underestimating it. 250 gigabytes. 250 gig block on it in order to be processing it. It's got to keep it all.
1: That's the ledger size. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you to be able to validate against the ledger. Yep. Okay. Yeah, everyone has a full copy of the ledger in their system.
2: Yeah. Okay. Back to wallets.
1: Back to wallets. Okay. So we have, oh goodness, this is such a deep rabbit hole. We have warm wallets and cold wallets. So in the event, let's say, let's look at Coinbase, for instance. This is a, a trading platform, right? So I can buy and sell and trade cryptocurrencies on Coinbase. So Coinbase has warm wallets where some of the Bitcoin, When we're just talking just about Bitcoin for the moment, although there are other cryptocurrencies involved, of course, many But some of the Bitcoin will be available in warm wallets or hot wallets that are sitting there being traded and transacted on. And then there are a whole bunch that are stored in cold wallets. And the majority of their stash of Bitcoins will be stashed in cold wallets, which aren't used, which are hidden away, aren't used very commonly. So that way, if they're in the event of an attack or a breach for some reason at Coinbase, worst case, you're going to get some of the hot wallet data. But the cold wallet data stays theoretically inaccessible because it's not being used. No one's touching it. No one's using it. There's no interactions with it.
2: So is it analogous to a bank? Their total assets is very large, but actual physical cash may not be that much in the actual bank.
1: Yeah, or there's there's only so much cash stored in the tills up front where the clerks are handling transactions whereas behind them in the vault there's probably a great deal more being stored in case someone comes in and asks for large withdrawals or something like that. Yeah.
2: A little bit more of a fundamental question. A wallet is basically a storage locker for data. Yep. The data that is the representation of a Bitcoin. Is there a name for that representation of Is it a key? There's a term key that's floating around.
1: Yeah, there's public and private keys in cryptographic. The wallet uses cryptographic technology, which means there's a public and a private key. Public key is shared out on the ledger in order for us to be able to transact between each other. In order to get access to prove ownership of the wallet, so you want to pull some out, you have to have access to the private key, which is another mathematical formula. So there are public and private keys and it's super important that private keys are held private. No one has access to those, those are secreted away. And we know that many Bitcoin have been destroyed or lost because someone lost access to those private keys. You know, you've heard of like the guy who lost his wallet or lost access to his wallet or reformatted his drive or whatever, and suddenly he has no access to those private keys and it's gone, that's it, game over, right? There's no getting that thing back at that point. So there are some advantages There are pros and cons to both. You can maintain your own wallets. You can actually get on, there are programs you can use to get on the ledger, get on the blockchain yourself and have your own wallet. You are 100% responsible for security of it at that point. Alternatively, you can use exchanges to store your Bitcoins. Then of course, you're trusting that they're taking care of it and they're being secure and that nothing's going to happen to them. They don't go out of business or, or get attacked, et cetera. Because there have certainly been plenty of uh, historical attacks on exchanges, which have resulted in people losing access to their funds. Look up Mount Gox. Well, that was one of the big early ones that happened.
2: Just letting it sink in.
1: Yeah. 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 Process for a bit. Go for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Easy stuff. Super simple.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you think about
1: it like like in terms of bank terms, then this is your account, right? And you could have many accounts across many different banks, but they're all transacting, in our case, US dollars, right? And some may have some and some may have another and you may stash them somewhere else. And yeah, here, I'll get really complicated for you. So you can also have what's called paper wallets and they look like this. I don't think I actually use these. So these are just sample ones. I'll cover the private key. So there's a QR code, which is my public key for a paper wallet. So if I want, I can create a wallet and put it on paper only and then send money to it, right? So I'll take some of my Bitcoin and I'll send money to it. Uh, for instance, I was, this was just a practice one, but I was gonna send 0.01 Bitcoin. I just wrote that in there. It's not something that actually is part of this paper, but I've sent 0.01 to this wallet. So now I can go stash this in a safe deposit box. And at some point in the future, if I wish to withdraw it, I can get back, pull this thing back out, use the public key and the private key, which is a QR code underneath my hand here, and interact with the ledger again.
2: When you do that, I mean, say you sat on that, whether it's this piece of paper or whether it's your actual wallet. So maybe you create a wallet on, as we've heard stories, you create a wallet on your hard drive and you forget about it. And 10 years goes by, you still have Bitcoin on that wallet, but you need to then get hooked back up to the internet because your ledger will be 10 years old. So will you have 10 years worth of ledger to then fill in before you can start transacting again? Yes,
1: but it won't really, it won't matter because this is all accessible. The, I can pull up any block anywhere along the ledger. It'll be like saying, I pull out my 10-year-old bank account and say, hey, I want to cash this in. And unlike a bank, which may say it's been too long, we already got rid of your account. It's on the blockchain forever. So yeah, and it's happened. In the past, there have been, for a while, people are giving out rewards. Like, oh, I'll give you a couple of Bitcoin for a reward for joining our, or winning our contest or for participating in this. And people have forgotten about it. And then years later, they go, oh my gosh, this thing's worth, you know, Couple of bitcoins were seventy five thousand dollars suddenly or eighty-two thousand as it is right now. So yeah, suddenly they've cashed in doing quite well for themselves.
2: I don't want to go into it, but I do I have read some articles and some podcasts and maybe we can plug them more officially somewhere, but that talk about people who have specialized in tracking down lost Bitcoin wallets or getting back into them, which is a whole it was wow. Didn't understand half of it, the resetting, the blah, 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 to root this. I I mean, it was just so much. I'll send it to you, James. You can appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, it's a whole thing, right? Sure. The other one, I recommend going back to listen to any Reply All podcast episodes. They talk about crypto, and one of them is about the creation of a new coin. It's bananas, the steps that they take to ensure that the original hash i might be saying this wrong or the original key that starts the whole new cryptocurrency is completely obfuscated there's no way of right. ever knowing it whatsoever there's so much randomness to it they literally like they're typing out random strings of words but they cover their hands with a cardboard box and just pound on the computer for like five minutes so it's just a random string of stuff that nobody could ever get. anyway
1: yeah called a genesis block that's the very first block in a blockchain
2: yeah That's probably a little too deep for us right now. (laughs) I want to take a couple steps back. You mentioned exchanges. Yes. And Coinbase being one of them. And again, just confirm to me, Coinbase is both an exchange like a stock exchange where you can trade Bitcoin to another crypto or actual, you know, USD cash to Bitcoin or whatever. Yep. But it's also a wallet for each of its users.
1: Yeah. They're going to give you an account where you can store things like US dollars or Bitcoin or both. Yes. In fact, it has some more advanced features and it's been a matured product. Now they offer what they call a vault. So you can, let's say you have five Bitcoin. You can take four of those Bitcoin and put it into a vault and then set parameters around that to say, okay, when I request access to that vault, it requires two people to approve it. It requires a 48 hour wait time, things like that. So that you can- Strongbox style. Yeah, exactly. Limit access to that thing. Yep. Now, I just use Coinbase because it's it's a US-based exchange and one of the first and one of the biggest.
2: And this might be a little bit too much. We can go into a whole episode about finance, but investing in general. Sure. What are your 101 both tips and cautionary things to look out for when it comes to (laughs) investing in crypto?
1: So the first thing we have to say is that we are not investment advisors and this is not investment financial advice, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, yep, good. <laughs> there's a disclaimer, it's important in there. <laughs> I do believe we've seen it go up nearly every year, right? There's a, definitely a trend from when it was $200 or less to where it is now. At one point last year, it was around the $60,000 range. So I do believe in investing in cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of debate. I know a lot of financial institutions and a lot of financial advisors won't touch it. It's too volatile. They have a concern that they're not sure which cryptocurrency out of the hundreds or thousands out there will reign supreme when this all shakes out. So many of them will avoid it altogether because they're concerned about that. It's pretty evident to me. I've been in tech a long time. It seems to me, who knows? Who knows what the future looks like? That Bitcoin is the original, and Ethereum, which has been one of the earlier ones and seems to be one of the most robust ones and is a platform for many other technologies, are going to be two of the strong contenders for a very long time. So I do believe in investing in Bitcoin and have done so personally myself. If you want to get started, then yeah, you go to, if you're a US citizen, you go to coinbase.com, you sign up for account, you tie in, you, you send it money. You can wire money, you can use a credit card. There's a transaction fee. You can tie it to your bank account. However, but you must somehow fund it. And at that point, then you can go in and you can buy Bitcoin with it. There are easier and harder ways to do it. The easiest way they offer a very slick way. You could just, I want to convert this much money to Bitcoin and you buy it. And it can be as little as $2 as we've talked about before the show. The more advanced way, if you're a trader or you're familiar with buys and sells and that kind of thing is they have a, an actual trading interface you can use, which is a much more advanced platform for actually doing trading. And you're going to get more Bitcoin for your dollar because it's not, it's not a hands-off approach. But it's just like any other trading platform. It's complicated and requires some know-how, that's for sure. Does that answer your question?
2: Do your research before you dive in. Yes. Yeah. We touched on this, I want to say it was in the first episode, when we initially talked about blockchain and how the blockchain technology itself, divorced from any cryptocurrency, can be used for companies trying to advance their logistical needs or whatever it may be. Yeah. But I think there's some scenarios that I've seen in the news where they will use both blockchain and a cryptocurrency for funding or for investment for their business to raise capital or whatever it is. And we touched on it a little bit, but I want to just go reiterate a little bit, maybe go a step deeper. Why would you do it that way? Why would you go about blockchain and cryptocurrency if you are a new company trying to get funding?
1: Well, if you in the event of a developer, let's say I believe I'm going to invent a blockchain that is easy to roll out for other companies and I'm going to prove it. So I have a token that's associated with that. And that is the token that we're exchanging back and forth. That's what a Bitcoin is. That's what an Ethereum is. It's a token. So at that point, I can offer an what looks like an IPO. It's a an initial coin offering. It's an ICO actually, but it's the equivalent of an I have a business IPO. And I can say, we have this company that we're going to fund. We're going to do it through coins. And if there are buyers or believers, they're going to invest their money in buying those tokens, believing that the value of them will go up in the future, just as a stock would as well. That's kind of the short answer.
2: Advantages being that that doesn't give you as an investor actual ownership over the company. right? And I say that's an advantage as the founder of the company. I'm not giving away any kind of ownership per se disadvantage being that it is, of course, perception-based.
1: Yep. But, you know, so is everything else. Again, it's supply and demand, like everything else out there. I will do a pretty big caution on ICOs. If you're not familiar with them, it's a very volatile and risky investment option. Some of them have done really well. Many of them need to research the company, right? Some of these companies will take, we're going to take 10,000 of these, and then we give 100 away to people. That's serving them, not anybody else, right? That's raising the value for them and making them money. I think more serious investments or ICOs rather would be about, we're going to hold a reasonable amount or we're all going to mind just like everybody else
0: is. And whoever gets the most gets the most and it has nothing to do with anything else. So. Yeah. I think it doubles down on the risk when it comes to ICOs and investing in businesses in general. What is so risky about investing in a business overall is you're investing in people. Very unpredictable, emotional. <laughs> sometimes irrational or not very bright people sometimes they are extremely bright very rational and like you said things go well but on top of that you're adding a cryptocurrency layer which in no way is unsafe as we've discovered here bitcoin got a pretty bad rap right out of the gates just because it was the first one if it was dogecoin that was very first the first cryptocurrency they would have had to go through all those growing pains that bitcoin did they took a lot of the blow for The rest of the cryptocurrencies out there it is still a volatile system so it kind of doubles down on the amount of risk if you're looking at icos and cryptocurrency all in one
1: Yeah, and there are lots of projects out there who fully intended to be a value add right it's why they do it in the first place they're developing a real world offering that they believe will really be successful out there and there are thousands of the projects just a couple that come to mind i think i mentioned once on a previous one was dragon chain right it's owned by disney it's an offering that will allow corporations, organizations, rather, to use blockchain inside their environment. And there are hundreds of them. I'm just listing a couple off the top of my head.
2: The last thing I wanted to bring up, maybe not the last, we'll see where it goes, is a little bit of the elephant in the room. And that is the additional layers of concern. We've talked about some of the volatility and just general investment risk. That's just the name of the game when it comes to your money but there's been concerns around the environmental impact of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and the rest. What does that mean? What does that entail? And how concerned should we be? It is real. I mean,
1: if we consider, you know, in in the previous episode where I talked about my ridiculous power bill, we're burning through electricity, right? There's no doubt about it. And these mining rigs, That's what they're doing is they're burning, they're converting electricity into number crunching, into heat, really, is what they're doing, (laughs) electricity into heat. So we're producing a lot of heat, but we're burning through a lot of electricity. So it depends on how that electricity is created can have an environmental impact. Yeah, if we're burning fossil fuels to make electricity to run these things, then we are literally having an environmental impact. There are some arguments counter to that. For instance, well, yeah, so are the thousands of servers every bank is using in their data centers, right? How is that any different? And that's also true. And there are plenty of mining organizations who are set up in places like hydro dams and using wind and solar and other things to offset some of that. So yeah, it definitely has an environmental impact that, we, that can't be ignored. And that is a, it is a concern. I don't know whether it uses more or less than banks, <laughs> but it is definitely burning through a lot of power. I can attest to that myself having run only two of them and have ridiculous power and power bills. Yeah, it's it's expensive and it takes a lot of electricity. You know, these folks are doing mining, even a small mining farm will spend ten, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a month on power. That's a lot of power we're drawing for that thing. So that has to come from somewhere.
0: A big risk, or kind of one of the bigger differences is the fact that with Bitcoin, it is all-inclusive. Anybody can do it, right? which yeah. means anybody can do it. If there's nothing to stop somebody, unless it's a neighbor who gets sick of the sound, there's nothing to stop somebody to get a bunch of gasoline generators and start running those to power some of these miners. You know, there's just nothing. I mean, it wouldn't be cost effective. It'd be pretty dumb, but right. someone could still do it. Run six gasoline generators to power one miner. Now, if J.P. Morgan Chase started having gasoline generators outside their building to power the cooling for their server rooms, that would raise quite a bit of uh, opinions in the public eye. So, there is a lot more that any organization has to answer to than an individual. That is kind of the risk. There is some people are a little crazy.
1: Yeah, you know, and again, and I'm not taking sides here. I am pro crypto, as it's pretty evident. But you know, if we consider every branch of a bank and every employee using a computer and all the servers and all the lights and all the air conditioning to run those branch offices everywhere those are all using power right how does that compare to a crypto farm i don't have that answer but we're all using power there's no doubt
2: the counterpoint i will make james yeah. playing devil's advocate here not Please. that we're getting into a full on debate here is that no
1: no no let's do it
2: jp morgan chase is processing billions of transactions daily right Just the volume of transactions through our mainstream infrastructure, Visa, Chase, MasterCard is just astronomical. And so, yes, there's power bills are much higher, but their cost of power per transaction is infinitesimal compared to a cost of power per transaction for a Bitcoin, which is most definitely significant. But then you have to go deeper of how
0: much time do people spend in a car driving to the bank? <laughs> you can't drive to the Bitcoin no, bank. We're the Someone wants to take their 67 Ford down to the bank. That's not very green.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the good place and the point system. There's no room for actually doing good here. Every action has consequences. I mean, <laughs> We're all terrible
0: and our very existence as human beings is no destroying point.
2: the planet. Our, our business podcast went philosophical, folks. Stay with us.
1: <laughs> Environmental podcast is next.
2: You use the word "this" is just again closing up little loops from the previous two episodes. I think it's pretty self-evident. You use the phrase "tokenize," yeah, and I think that goes back to the act of using a cryptocurrency to build your whatever you're trying to build. And that's because a token is another word for basically a cryptocurrency. Is that accurate? Yeah, cryptocurrencies are tokens, yes, for sure. So saying you're going to tokenize something is basically you're just going to add cryptocurrency to the mix.
1: Tokens are a representation of an asset, not necessarily the asset themselves. So for instance, Tether is a representation of US dollar and a one-to-one ratio. This is a very efficient means for cryptocurrency traders to move in and out of things like Bitcoin without having to convert back into U.S. dollars and take that percent hit for doing that every time. So I can convert my Bitcoin into Tether when I believe the price is going to go down and reverse that process when I believe the price is going to go up. I never had to go back into U.S. dollars to do that. That's what a token is more used for.
2: But the Bitcoin itself is also a token.
1: It's a coin, really. It has value, right? Whereas tether has is based on something I can trade it for in theory.
2: Look, we're three episodes in. We're almost two hours into this discussion around cryptocurrency. There's, of course, way deeper we could go, but uh, we'd have to start learning actual IT and coding at this point, and I don't think our audience wants that either. So, right, right. Hopefully, this has been a helpful primer, uh, explainer, so that. Uh, I feel a little more educated to talk about it with maybe some friends or colleagues. Hopefully our audience feels the same way. Derek, any, you know, open ended threads that we need to close off?
0: No, I think we touched on them all pretty well. Hopefully we answered more questions than we created.
2: (laughs) You never know. James, any closing thoughts on crypto and Bitcoin as we close out this mini series?
1: You know, we touched on the investment aspect of this. And so, And I'm not trying to push my own opinion by any means. Everyone has their own version of what this looks like. But this feels to me as a technologist, much like the internet did in its infancy. It was cumbersome. People didn't know how to use it. It was hard to get to. And then it took off and we're all using it. I suspect that we're going to be down a similar path here. So I do encourage the people that I, you know, friends and family that I talk to, to to invest something. I'm not saying get crazy about it or spend the money you don't have, but if you got a little extra Throw us some in Bitcoin because who knows what the future is going to look like. One day you may pull it out. It may be worth a lot more than it is right now. I'll leave it at that.
2: Diversify. Always sage advice. All right. Well. Excellent. And on that fun Thank note, you for the, yeah. Thank you for those <laughs> who stuck around three episodes into crypto. We hope it's been enlightening and I don't know. I had fun. So hopefully everybody else did too. Yeah, and that's it for this week. And we will catch you again next week. Thanks guys. Thanks everyone.
0: See ya.